Hello, I'm Toby Haydock. Do treat this podcast like it's your own. Liberty Hall, who's round listeners. Liberty Hall. It's a lovely day here in Surrey, and I'm with uh, a husband and wife uh, who are going to now tell me who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who. Ah, well, yes, I'm Lex Robinson, and I've been an actor for a long time, 40, 50 years, I suppose, but I retired a little while ago when my eyes went wrong, and uh, so that was that. Was that. And we decided... We'd go over to Spain because we thought the weather would be nice and we had a bit of money and we sold up where, where our little riverside place in uh, Jersey and uh, moved over to a place called Javier, which is on the Costa Blanca coast. And we had ten lovely years there. It was absolutely splendid. And then when the eyes went a bit wrong, we decided we'd come back. And uh, since then, we've been over here. And they settled here in Adelston, where we used to live, or in the same area, we used to live 40-odd years ago. Which is when you were both in the same Doctor Who story, but you weren't... Well, you were married to each other in real life, oh, but yes. you weren't married to each other because um, you... We didn't even meet each other. Actually. No. I only did one day. Yes. And we, we filmed... Outside, so I never even got in the studio, and I never even saw a Dalek, which I was very sort of upset about because I, I wanted to see a Dalek, but I didn't. But the tent you were in the t- that we're talking, listeners, about the three doctors in which Rex was Dr. Tyler and Patricia was Mrs. Ollis. Yes. So you do get two things. You get, uh, you're in the 10th anniversary story of Doctor Who, and you are also the recipient of one of the funniest end lines in Doctor Who ever, <laughs> which is, you'd never believe me, woman, is supper ready? And you get the last close-up. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> and so you were cast in that by Lenny Main, who you worked with a lot. Yes, yes. yes. Tele- yeah. For television, yes. Yes, well, I, I met Lenny through his wife, and I'd done a show in London called uh, A Crooked Mile. She was a dancer in it, and she introduced me to Lenny. And uh, when we m- moved origin- up to Adelston, the first place, we hadn't realised, but our gardens virtually backed onto each other. So we got on jolly well, and we... You know, I was delighted when he was directing and so on. He was a lovely Australian guy. He'd been over here originally in some musical shows, I believe. That's where he'd met his wife. And um, anyway, we, we got on very well, as I say. Oh, I remember that one of the three doctors. And, and uh, Yes, and I think I was... Oh, no, that was the Hand of Fear, I think. And I was supposed to be a bit of a mad scientist. And I was being chased up this staircase, or I was chasing Doctor Who, actually, with a big spanner, I remember, mm. and I lost my balance and I fell down onto the concrete floor. That was the end of me. But I remember before I was, we actually did it, I said to Lenny, I'm sure I could do this fall on my, you know, I might be OK. But then I went up 
saw how far it was, and I decided, no, I don't think I will. They they got a um, yeah a stunt man in to do it. Max Faulkner <laughs> did it, and it's a heck of a fall. And it's, it's, it was it's, a hell yeah. of a fall. And I, the other thing I remember, they said, uh, will you like the real big spanner, uh, or shall we make a, 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 a sort of... Just a a prop one. I said, Oh, I think I can manage the proper spanner. (laughs) I nearly dropped it, it was so darn heavy. (laughs) I thought, My gosh, no, I don't think I will. So uh, they gave me the other one, I think. (laughs) Well, and the hand of fear was Tom Baker, and between you, because I think you'd done the plane makers that William Hartnell was in your episode, and of course. Hartnell and Trout and Pert, we were in the three doctors. Oh, yes. So what yes. do you remember of your different doctors? Uh, yes, I never, I don't think I ever met William Hartnell, but certainly Pat I did, and John. John was a lovely guy. We got on very well, I think. Actually, I was out in Australia, and I met her, Katie Manning. She, I was in it doing a show with uh, in the Chichester Festival Company, and um, she saw my name in the programme, I suppose, and she came along and introduced herself, and I said, oh, for goodness sake, Katie, yes. Oh, how lovely, yeah, because she, she lived guy. there for a while, yeah. Lovely lady, she, I don't know, she came back, obviously. Yeah, she's only very recently moved back to the UK. But oh, did yeah, she? Yeah. Ah, oh, you know that, yes. Yeah. I believe her father was a sports writer, wasn't he? He was a sports journalist, wasn't he, for the papers, yes. yeah. So I'll turn to... to uh, to Pat, you, you, yes. you did you did one day on the three doctors, whereas Rex did three stories. Um, so, uh, do you remember much about uh, the location? You were married to in that you were married to Laurie yeah. Webb as well. Yes, no, it was uh, it was a lovely day. I remember that the weather was quite nice. You know, you tended to get in a coach and they took you, and you arrived and you did it, and then you got back in the coach and went back. And uh, so, I, it was somewhere local to London, I think, but. Um, it was uh, that. That was the only Doctor Who I did. Um, but you um, obviously you were married to Rex at the time. So take us back um, because you've been married for. So where did you first meet as actors on the road? Well, we. I went out with this company, and his company had been there before, as he said, and he uh, decided to stay on because he was offered radio work in South Africa because there was no television in those days over there. So. Um, he uh, he stayed on, and we were staying in the same hotel. And our company manager, who'd gone in advance to book a, a hotels and everything, introduced us. And um, as Rex said, that was on about the first or second of November, and twenty sixth we got married, which was a great shock to our poor mothers, who were both sort of on their own in England, and uh, you know they thought we'd be home in three months, and we weren't so. It was a shock to us as well, really. We we decided to stay over there for a bit. And by the time we came back, I was expecting the extra first son. So So you you were married three weeks after you first met? Yes. Yeah. So uh, that's acting on impulse. It was a case that we were still touring. My company was still touring. And Rex had gone into the pantomime in Johannesburg or was going in. So if we did get married then, then... We were going off to do Durban and Pretoria and various places, and we didn't know when we were going to fix it, and uh, you know another time. So we decided to do it then, and uh, while we were in Joburg, so I did a lot of commercials. That was my thing. I mean, every soap powder, cat food, 
you name it, I did it, starting right back in the age of drift and fairy snow, which were no longer exist. And um, so that, because that I could do, I could get cover for the children for a day, but I couldn't do it for go off for length of time. And was uh, commercials in those commercials in these days when you audition for them? You know, you're there, and the rest of Equity are there, looking desperate. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, was it the same? Oh, it was yes. <laughs> but the only thing was that somebody was talking the other day, and they said, "Oh, we're penciling it in." And I said, oh, well, you should get a cancellation fee. She said, not anymore. In our day, if they said, we'll re reserve you for the 24th and 25th, and then they decided something went wrong and they were, you got a fee, but not anymore. No, oh, God, no, I've been no. pencilled several times know, and, and had nothing. You, no. I know, and you've kept that date, hopefully. Yeah. No, no I was very lucky. I did. Went, to, went to Switzerland, went up the... Doing for Thomas Cook, finished up at the top of the Matterhorn, uh, in a blizzard, and um, it was it was great. I enjoyed it because it was quick and it was fun and it paid quite well, you know. And in terms of the television, you did you did things like get, you had a few episodes of the Aeneid in line and yes, I was a sort of came in as the housekeeper when Aeneid's wife, first wife, died, and then before um, Jill Gascoigne came in. I came in as the housekeeper, and then from then on, I was sort of. I probably did three or four out of each series, but it was. Um, it was, you know, sort of steady. It was very depressing. Was when it went in, first thing they did was to give me a thing of cold cream and a pad of cotton wool, take every vestige of makeup off, and put on this terrible bummed wig that I had. And that was me for the. <laughs> there was no, uh, no glamour. No glamour. No. no. Well, talking of wigs, Rex, I don't know if you remember this because we have to notch off each of your Doctor Whos for an anecdote. And in the Monster of Peladon, you you uh, had the aspect of a of a sort of badger. Exactly, exactly. And they, when I went in to make up, they said, uh, "Well, I don't know what we're going to do with you, really, but we're going to try this." And they glued stuff over my face, sort of fluffy stuff down from my top of my ears to the top of my mouth as far as I remember and it was really rather unpleasant when I was doing the DVD of the Monster of Peladon one of the actors I think it was Donald G said that you'd driven from Nottingham to do Northampton, Doctor Northampton, Northampton yeah. to do Doctor Who every day was that right? yes except the last studio day real studio day I would stay with a friend but I used to come down and I had a little sports car, which I was very proud of. Very impractical, actually, a little Honda. And uh, I was coming down, and it was torrential rain. So, of course, I was getting sprayed from all these lorries and buses and stuff because it was such a small little car. And I just got on the outskirts of London, and I thought, I'm going to get there OK. I've got plenty of time. And the engine suddenly died. Oh, how was I going to get to the centre? Anyway, I'm, days before mobile phones and things, I clambered over the fence. I got it on the side of the motorway, clambered over a fence, found a box, and phoned up the AA, and they said, well, we'll get there as soon as we can. And I went back and sat in the car, and the rain was still coming down, but at least I was stationary. <laughs> 
But anyway, he came eventually. It was about an hour, possibly. I don't know. I was going frantic. And he got in the car and it started with no trouble at all. Of course, it had been soaked because it's such a low little car and it had all this splashing of rain and it had just soaked into the engine. <laughs> By the time the guy came, of course, it had all dried out. That was nice. <laughs> so I got there. And was all forgiven if you were a bit late? Yes, I was forgiven. Yes, it was still running through studio time. Not not actual recording, thank goodness. And it helps having your friend as the director as well, I guess. Well, that was a help, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> Dear old Lenny. The, the interesting thing, because Lenny did a, a handful of Doctor Who's and you're in nearly all of them. Um, what? Uh, 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 I'm in quite a number. Yeah, you yeah. the three, and they're all done by Lenny. And it seems to me that he liked surrounding himself by people that he'd, he'd knew well, before. Well, I think that people, you know, directors do tend to do that, don't they? I mean, somebody who we met when we were living in Spain was Paul Chapasoni. Yes. And he did a good deal. He was a friend of Lenny's and he did quite a lot. But I know that he always had a, a little troop of people who he got on well with. And it was the same I noticed in the theatre when I was there. When I was doing various things, you just sort of click with a director and they quite liked what you were doing and you liked what the way they worked and and that usually worked out very well for both of you. And, and had you always wanted to act? Had that always been the plan? No, not at all. I hadn't. I wasn't one of those people who started doing in school. Uh, I started as a sort of amateur when I came out, you know, I'd finished in the RAF and I remember going for one interview for a, a dramatic uh, a local drama group, and I was auditioning for either Gilgenstone or Rosencrantz, and the guy was playing Hamlet, he was directing it, and when I'd done my little bit, he came up and said, I need an Horatio, so you can be that, you see. Well, the guy in question was somebody called John Dexter. Oh, now, he, in fact, uh, suddenly got a job, I believe, a proper job, <laughs> in uh, Birmingham, I believe it was. I'm not sure what it was. But anyway, the pr production was all off. I met John Dexter years later when he was directing Gigi in London with... Uh, now, wait a minute. Beryl Reed. Beryl Reed, that's right and Jean-Pierre Aumont, and there was very, there was really nothing much for me in it, but he put me in it really to cover Pierre, who was playing the, um, the lead, and uh, I had to go on a few times, actually. It was a bit worrying because you suddenly had to sing a, a song or two with the orchestra. You would never sung before but we managed to get through it all right so that was quite interesting but um, that was the only other time I met John Dexter by which time he was a big big guy in national theatre and all the rest of it yes he went on to become one of the leading RSC directors didn't he, he did and, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and so having and you so you you started in theatre and, and getting promoted from 
Rosencrantz or Guildenstern to Horatio must must mean you must have impressed him because they're... Well, I did impress him at the time, but it was all amateur at that point, you know. But it was only after that, and I did quite a few productions, and uh, I seemed to feel I was happy with that. So uh, I auditioned for a drama school and went to the old Vic school, actually. But... Um, and that was that was the start, you know. And did you have any favourite parts that you played in theatre? Oof. I quite enjoyed doing The Common Man in uh, Man for All Seasons. I did that up in York. It's a lovely part. In the, in the Minster. <laughs> it was quite interesting. A man called Richard Digby Day directed it. He directed me in quite a few things. He gave me some very nice parts up there. And uh, it, it was during the time when there'd been a fuel strike or, you know, it's very difficult to fuel. So the whole of the Minster in York was dead cold. And I had to sit in the audience while they all came in, in my ordinary clothes. And uh, when the lights went down, I then had to get up and people were murmuring, why didn't he go before he went, came in? And, and I, I had to take all my clothes off, and underneath I had a, a black leotard, skin tight. And I remember taking this off, and I'd left some coins in my pocket. And as I took my trousers off, the coins sprinkled all over the floor, the stone floor in the minster. That was a nice start to the evening. <laughs> and then after my first bit of an introduction, I had to go behind uh, the benches that were all arranged, and I couldn't get actually off stage. And it was, I was absolutely frozen. But fortunately, Richard was decent enough to let me have a little pot of whiskey behind there. So <laughs> when I retired next time, the second performance... I was able to have a little tot there to keep me warm. But it was freezing because, of, you know, the audience had all come with hot water bottles and things and rugs. <laughs> and there I was as this skin-tight leotard, <laughs> which is not very funny. No, no, but all part of an actor's life. Skin-tight leotards and tots of whiskey. I mean, it's not, not, not a bad combination. Well, some people, of course, have that all the time, I, I believe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, so, Pat, what, what was your background and what uh, got you treading the boards? Well, I suppose because I went to boarding school at Stratford-on-Avon. Ah. We were taken to every production and everybody got fed up with me. When we got older into the top classes and we were allowed to go for walks in twos and threes, not the crocodile, I always wanted to go past the theatre and then go back along and then back past the theatre. And I, when we were supposed to be playing hockey on the fields opposite the theatre, I used to watch and think... Oh, John Byron's playing Romeo, so-and-so's playing that. So they're obviously rehearsing such-and-such such a scene. You'd see them on the balcony in the sun. And um, so I auditioned for Rada and got in, but it was just after the war. I mean, you know, they were practically taking anybody to get <laughs> But uh, I had... It was two years in those days. And then I was very lucky because my mother was separated from my father and was working as a housekeeper in a little village in the Cotswolds. So, of course, when I finished at, at RADA, I went back for the summer, and I had no idea where to start looking for a job. And 
our last production was a thing called I Remember Mama, which was an American thing. And the idea was that your last production, you could invite agents and directors to see you work because this was your showcase. We were very nearly halfway through production. And uh, we were told that they were going to do a production in the autumn, one of the London managements, and uh, we weren't allowed to invite anybody. And it just happened by sheer chance that one of the girls had a father who was a dentist, and one of the dentist's clients was a director. And he, the, the dentist had said, look, will you go and see the production as a friend of the family and let me know whether you think Katie's got anything, whether she can go on, whether I should support her. <clears throat> so he came, and um, I don't know what happened with Katie, but he phoned me up and said, would I go at Guildford, the old Guildford Theatre, not the one that's there now. So I was lucky to get in from there, and I went to Guildford, and then later on I went up into Leicester, and then I went to the company in um, Edinburgh, and that was when I went out to South Africa with them. <clears throat> so um, I worked pretty consistently from the time I left RADA till uh, when the children came along, and it then got too difficult. More difficult know. to juggle, sure. Yeah. And when did you break into television, and was that something that was a, a, an easy well, I move? Think I, I, think I started doing commercials first, and it was a bit of a shock the first day. I think it was Plain Makers. I had two lines as a secretary, and um, I had wasn't used to television. I mean, you know, on a commercial, you would spend all day doing a 30-second thing, you know, new lights, new filters, different to faster, slower... We did the thing, and I did the scene thinking it was just a run-through, and said, OK, strike, on to the next one. <laughs> I said, is that it? You know, I couldn't believe that that was as quick as that. You know, So uh, it was a, quite a learning curve. Well, it was a, it was a sort of fledgling medium. I mean, was, was, it, was it something as a rep actor, Rex, that you aimed for? Was the, was the plan to break into television, and did you, mm, did you have a preference? No, not particularly. Not particularly. I think I preferred the theatre. That's where most of the work was, and uh, I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I, I suppose going straight from the Vic School into the Vic Company, uh, they got some cheap labour by keeping on a number of us as students. But in fact, we were in all the productions when this was when they reopened in the Waterloo Road. And a uh, lovely guy, Roger Livesey, mm. and Ursula uh, Jeans, his wife, Peggy Ashcroft, Alec Clunes, Bobby Edison, Leo McKern. It was quite a company. Yeah. And it was wonderful to be there, you know. And after I'd done a year there, then Tyrone Guthrie auditioned us, and two of us were kept into the company. And that was when we toured uh, South Africa. And when I came back, uh, there was nothing much happening. Um, but uh, eventually I got into the Stratford Company, where, which was being led by Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee and uh, Tony Quayle. And it was all rather splendid. I didn't have a lot to do, but, you know, it was three... Years I finished there, three years' work, and it was great. And we had the uh, two boys at that time. Uh, no, our second boy was born while we were in Stratford. So um, 
actually with with the four children were all born in different places, one in Reigate, one in Stratford, one in North Finchley, and one in Walton Thames. So you can see we've moved around. Yeah, yes, an, an itinerant lifestyle. Um, but I mean, you've mentioned there a list of absolutely fabulous actors. Um, so one of the things about being surrounded by great actors is that you um, there's nothing like watching a great actor at work. Well, exactly. So who, who, exactly. who would you say were the best actors to sort of work with and watch? Oh, dear, 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 dear. Well, Olivier, of course. And uh, I remember I had an attack of asthma. I had to be off, which was very unfortunate. I mean, I was only sort of doing piddly little bits, you know. But it was very sweet. There was a knock on the door of the flat uh, and uh, there was Vivian Lee and Keith Michelle had brought her round and she still had her make- makeup on and this was between matinee and evening and she came and bought me some magazines and a book and, <laughs> and various little sweetmeats which was extremely sweet of her and she sort of sat at the end of my bed for about half an hour before she decided she'd better get back for the half in the oh. evening performance. She said to me, you know, um, it took me on one side and said, you really should take Rex to see the doctor. There's a wonderful doctor in Harley Street that I've taken Larry to because he had some problem. I think he had gout or something. And she said, he's absolutely brilliant. I'll give you his name. And I thought, darling, you don't realise. It will take our year's salary to pay for it. <laughs> I didn't say it, but at the time I thought, I don't think so. Yeah. And tell me about um, Jesse Matthews's curtain call. Oh, yes. The first night when we were sort of on curtain call and she made a little speech and introduced all the company. Well, of course, while you've been working, you rather forget the surnames somehow. It's uh, Wendy and Jack and so on. You forget the surnames. And she got slower and slower until she got to me and I was the last one standing beside her. And she said, and there's Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. And there was a huge roar in the audience. I apologised the next evening. She didn't quite get it at the time. (laughs) I felt rather dreadful, but it just came out. (laughs) And you mentioned as well that she rather put her foot in it when introducing John Abbott. Oh, yes. The next play was going to be uh, Night Must Fall. And uh, she she was doing this, uh, and we were all playing Hay Fever that night, you see. And she was doing her little introduction, and she said, I'll let you all into a secret, because John Abbott there is such a nice boy, isn't he? but he plays the murderer next week. <laughs> uh, well, the, the one thing, because you've very kindly given your time and because nobody listening to this has paid for it, um, and you can, as there's two of you, you can nominate two, if you like, a, a charity for the listeners. Well, I think Rex would always go for R&IB. Well, R&IB. They saved my life with the talking books, which are terrific. If, you, if you've got one as well, you can, we, we, um, we can do two, because they're getting two, two interviewees for the price of none. So. <laughs> I don't well. know. Age UK, I should think, because that's probably the one that affects us more than anything else. <laughs>
Excellent. And uh, the final question, and thank you so much for your time, is um, either to sum up your experiences on Doctor Who or, or, or <laughs> the fact that it still uh, uh, haunts you after all this time, or if you have a message for the listening Doctor Who fans out there. Well, keep watching, because I think it's, there's always some new story coming, and there may even be a new Doctor. Be I mean, I doctor. think Matt Smith is great. You know, They've all got this rather quirky personality, which is great, because... Every time they change, you've got something new to discover, which is a whole new field. Unfortunately, I'm not able to see them now, any of them. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I uh, imagination is was used in doing uh, the effects and so forth, which uh, can be done now electronically. It's a strange thing that all these mobile phones and God knows what, you know, I, I can't sort of use them. <laughs> Because I, I can't really see them. <laughs> no, of course, and yet you're you're it's actually being re- you're being recorded on one as we speak. Ah, that's the ama- that's the that's the amazing thing they can oh, do anything I now. I know. All the kids have got them, by the way. Yeah. What <laughs> uh, so. well, I think is a shame is that when the children have all these things and you they have all these photographs on their you see the little list. It says you know there are two hundred and fifty photographs. I've got the old albums where photographs of the children when they were small. And when they got to about five years ago, they all stopped because all the pictures are on the, on the phones. They're not in concrete form. So when the children used to come when they were little, they used to get their old album out and look at these pictures of them when they were small. And that would be great. But nowadays... To find one, if you wanted one particular one, is not quite so easy when you've got 2,000 or something on the, on your phone. No, and you had to pick and choose more carefully as well. And, yes. Oh, I remember when you had to send the film oh, off yes. and you wait yes. for a month. <laughs> they know. come back and you think, I don't remember doing that. Yeah. <laughs> what was that funny... Sh- oh, it's my thumb, yeah. So that's the, that's the message. If you've got pictures on your phone, print them off. And yeah. put them in a in a yes, just, in an just album. the best of them. Because, yeah, you yeah. know it's all really take two hundred pictures of the flowers in your garden, but if you pick out two or three and just keep them, then mm-hmm. you know, it seems otherwise they they will be lost. Well, look, I'm really grateful that you've let me into your house and let me talk to you about Doctor and all sorts okay. of other things. Well, you have to come in this direction. Pleasure. You want to stop off for a pit stop and a coffee. You know where we are. Well, that's very kind. Well, it remains for me to say Rex Robinson and Patricia Pryor Stroke Robinson. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed for your time. Well, Thank you. Toby, it's very nice to see you and meet you here. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you. just lovely um so hospitable um i'm blessed doing this i really am meeting such nice people um there's a man beeping a horn where i'm doing this link which is in la oh did i mention that uh, so greetings from the gallifrey convention uh, where i am here to remind you that age uk pat's charity is uh, www.ageuk.org.uk and rnib is www.rnib.org.uk and that's Rex's uh, charity. So either one or both, or neither of those, depending on your desires. Next, who's round victim uh, is a finely voiced gentleman who has played leading parts for the Royal Shakespeare Company and a couple of fairly rubbish ones. He was very good, but they weren't the best parts in Doctor Who. 
but it's a couple of 60 stories and he's a mighty fine actor. That's in the next Who's Round. Tatty by, I'm in a lay by the way. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Scavenger. Which planet are we observing exactly? Doesn't look like much. Look again, Flip. The large continent directly below. Doesn't it seem familiar at all? No. Why? Oh. Oh, yeah. That's India, isn't it? Ah. Upside down India. <laughs> Hang about. That's not some weird upside down Earth, is it? Salvage 2. Launched 1700 hours, 2 minutes Indian time. It's Thursday, the 28th of May, 2071, and ladies and gentlemen, clean up space has finally begun. Look, another flash, but it's so close. Why can't I see the ship? You can't see it because it's facing us head on. It's flying straight at us, Jyoti. Go, get everyone into the secure area right now. Jyoti, leave the camera. Just a sec. This is too good. Listen, that means we've been punctured, doesn't it? Yeah, air venting into space. Oh, I so hope this camera's in 3D. Put your helmet on and do it now. All right. All right. And show me how to do mine. Oh, God. I can't move in this suit. Why is mine twice the size of yours? Hold still. It's just what we have. You got a barn gardener. I got a basic opera. But you do keep them topped up with oxygen, right? Not really, no. Okay. Breathe, Flip. You're floating in space. Happens all the time. I need a database of everything in orbit. Everything up there that isn't junk. Have you got that? Space Guard? Ah. If it's not on Space Guard and it's bigger than a fist, NASA tracks it as space junk. Stand by. Scavenger systems rebooting. Navigation. Propulsion. Weapons. Is that what I think it is? Some zombie satellite is speaking to us. Undead, you might say. Not this. Not this again. What did you say? Weapons. Online. Whatever this scavenger is, we need to stop it before it opens fire on Flip and Jotty. Firing. Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com.